0: This is Product Mastery Now, where product leaders and managers gain product mastery through practical knowledge, influence, and confidence. Your host is Chad McAllister, helping you become a product master, creating products customers love. Get ready for higher performance, for the doctor is in. Hi, this is Chad, and hello, Product Masters. Today, we're talking about using a modified version of Scrum for hardware projects. And many teams have tried adopting Scrum, we've talked about it a few times here before, for developing hardware products, not just software, where it came from originally, but not always necessarily successful. Their results vary. And this is such a big topic that we have not one, but two guests to help us with this. It's our guests are Dorian Simpson and Gary Hinkle. They think they have an answer for applying Agile principles, you know, like Scrum processes, to hardware projects. And they call it the Modified Agile for Hardware Development Framework or the MAD Framework. So have to have a good acronym like that one. For backgrounds here, Dorian has a deep background in product development, starting in engineering and then moving into business leadership roles. That sounds a lot like my background too, Dorian. And his leadership roles have been at Motorola AT and along with dozens of companies as an innovation and product development consultant. He's also the author of Savvy Corporate Innovator, which is about applying agile principles to idea development in organizations. And then Gary, he also has this extensive background in product development with senior roles at SAIC and Tektronix. He's held R&D leadership roles and founded Auxilium in 2002 to help companies improve their R&D and leadership practices and transform their new product development using agile practices. As listeners know, I just want to point out, we do take detailed show notes for you as we go. We also prepare a one-page action guide for you to help put into practice immediately the key takeaways from our discussion. You'll find those resources at productmasterynow.com slash 366. Dorian and Gary, thank you for joining us.
1: Thank you, Chad. appreciate you having us today.
2: Yeah, thanks, Chad. It's good to be here.
0: Looking forward to the discussion because we have looked at Scrum a few times for hardware development, hardware projects. It's a topic that I think is very important. Obviously, Scrum came out of the Agile world. Agile I tend to think of as a philosophy, not a specific process. Scrum is a, a Agile project management process that I have some familiarity with and have used. And beyond software projects, companies have have adopted it, right? And now we have this scaled Agile framework to how to bring this to the enterprise But there are people who talk about running into issues applying it to hardware sort of projects. So you're going to help us out with this. I thought to get us grounded, maybe you could take us through kind of the the high level of Scrum and then what parts of that that you don't find working well when we go to hardware projects.
2: Okay. All right. Well, I'll start this one. Uh, Scrum is, of course, the most widely... um, use flavor of agile mostly applied to software um, development projects and in quite a few years of history with that and it's very much the mainstream way of working the mechanics are there in terms of a- an agile way of working you've got uh, the customer experience described through user stories that are prioritized. And teams work on high-priority user stories in rapid cycles called sprints, and they deliver in software development working software that can be validated by users, and they can get feedback and incorporate it quickly because these cycles are rapid. And that whole mechanism is great for evolving a product and, and, and figuring things out as you go. Those challenges apply to hardware products uh, significantly, but just those basics, basic mechanics of Scrum that are really optimized for software development are missing some pieces. So the first piece that's missing for hardware is the big picture planning, because hardware pro- projects almost always have a schedule, often a very aggressive schedule, and always the, the project has to end and the product has to go into production. So there's is transition to production and, and manufacturing ramp up and a schedule that need, requires a big picture plan to make that happen. There's an end goal and a transition and uh, there needs to be, that has to be part of the plan. So Scrum doesn't really account for that. Also, the dependencies that are involved in physical products, mostly associated with physical material needed to manufacture a physical product, those materials have lead times. They can There's cost issues. There are different sources they might come from. But the, the dependencies, especially associated with the lead times, have to be factored into a project. You know, where most Scrum implementations for software, they can just get going right away with user stories and write some code and and get some features working and get it out there. Hardware also has not only those dependencies and certain things that have lead times, but things have to come together together from multiple disciplines. So so pieces can be integrated. So it's usually hardware and software pieces, hardware involving mechanics and electronics most of the time. And things have to come together and they typically can't come together every sprint if we're talking about a two-week rapid cycle. But if we expand that a bit in the Mad framework, uh, we have sprints within larger iterations. And those larger iterations are multiple sprints where Pieces come together and it's, and it's proactively done as part of the plan. So when those pieces come together, they're integrated and, and teams can validate from a technical perspective. If there's feasibility, things are actually working. And then they can also take the output and in some, with some sort of a prototype or demonstration, get feedback based on what was accomplished in that iteration. So those big picture planning and things coming together pieces are, are missing from uh, basic scrum.
0: This is a quick break to thank you for listening and to give you 10 hard-earned recommendations that will help you advance as a product manager and be recognized as a product leader. They are based on insights I've learned after working with many product professionals like you and several organizations, helping them advance using my rapid product master experience or the RPM experience. You can apply the first recommendation in just five minutes and it will change how you think about the work you do and also increase your confidence at the same time. I shared it with a leader at Dell Computers when she asked how they can create a more innovation-oriented culture. I also used it to help a startup founder reframe their value proposition. And a marketing manager applied it when she was interviewing for a product role. Not only did she get the job, she also nearly doubled her salary in the process. All that from just the first recommendation. Now, a lot of people have already downloaded the recommendations, and I don't want you to miss out if you haven't done it yet. They're all in a PDF titled, 10 Changes Product Teams Should Make Now to Consistently Launch Products Customers Love. Easily get it by going to productmasterynow.com love, that's L-O-V-E, love, because the recommendations will help you better create products that customers love. Don't get passed by others that are already using the recommendations to advance their career. You deserve to advance too. Go to productmasterynow.com love and get the recommendations. Gary, this is very helpful. Thank you for the kind of the overview of Scrum and how they fit together. But Dorian, anything that you wanted to add to that?
1: When companies try to implement Scrum or Agile for hardware, they get hung up on the mechanics. You look at those specifics of how Scrum operates from everything from stand-up meetings to estimating tasks. And if they don't have that direct applicability to physical products, they kind of, they get lost in those, in those tactics. So we focus on while there's 12 agile principles, if we just focus on really four of the key principles and, and build our thinking and our process around that, we can really get all the benefits of agile without really worrying about the dogmatic and the the detailed tactics of it. So we focus on the four principles of autonomous teams, the time box learning cycles, how do you use rapid prototyping and how do you engage with customers? So if, if you can build any process around those four key principles, you're going to have a pretty agile successful process and the hardware folks moving towards agile. If they're, if they get away from the dogma of trying to do the specific tactics and just focus on those four principles, they're going to do a pretty good job of, of getting something that works for them. And, People who are applying it in physical products, they have to be a little more flexible because every environment is a little different. Physical products have a lot of different dynamics. We talked about supply chains or you talked about it in your previous uh, task because every industry is a little different. You've got different dynamics that you're going to have to manage through. So it's got to be more flexibility when you apply agile to hardware.
2: Also, there's some formality that also has to be considered in terms of user stories, for example. User stories have to be looked at differently. From the perspective of the user, the customer, the stakeholder, from their perspective, they need something and there needs to be a benefit, right? That still applies to, you know, to really to any product, but you can't end with physical products directly translate those to features or work that's going to be done in a sprint. So they're still valuable as a starting point to really understand the customer, but hardware teams have to shift gears really quickly and get into the physical attributes of the product and all the complexities involved with designing hardware that uses materials And then also having to deal with a lot of regulatory concerns along the way, you know, complying with, you know, for electrical safety and if it's a medical product, FDA. And so all those factors have to be considered as product attributes. But Dorian used the word dogma. There are people who who teach Scrum-based Agile with a soft background, typically people doing hardware and they'll tell them things like, you have to write a, a user story for every requirement every feature, every specification, everything has to be defined as a user story. And uh, we don't know anybody who's done that successfully. We do know of some teams that have actually done that because they were told and spent a lot of time defining every attribute as a user story because some agile purist told them that if you don't do that, it's not agile.
1: And it looks remarkably like a set of specifications when they're done, which has added words to it. You know, as a as a circuit board, I need a digital audio converter that gives me this this output. And it just doesn't work. It turns hardware team members off often to, uh, to work through that.
0: Yeah, a lot of this is what the individual is used to, right? So the computer programmer at this stage is going to be used to user stories and seeing requirements expressed that way, while the engineer is going to want to have more detailed specifications that they can design to. And, and convoluting the language that they're used to probably just adds time and some confusion. There, there was a time before Agile was used so dominantly in software projects where if we had a hardware software project, we would do our planning upfront about what we thought these things were going to be. Basically, we were on separate teams, separate projects, and we have some integration point in the future. Sometimes that was a single integration point when we thought everything was supposed to be done and we usually found out that we had lots of problems at that time. Sometimes we might have a few integration points to try to minimize the big problems later. But it sounds like the addition of these four key principles might help with some of those integration issues. And I would think if we're adding Agile to this, we're getting uh, more evidence along the way of we're making progress and we're being responsive to customers.
1: Fair? That's a a fair and a very good summary. And one of the big differences is you think about, you know, typical project management or stage gate or waterfall, the upfront timing of writing a PRD, negotiating between marketing and R&D of, you know, here's the exact features we're going to do. Here's the scope of it. Here's the resources. We've had projects, you know, before Agile, they might take a year to work through that, sometimes multiple years to work through those details. Uh, with the false impression that you got them right, and with Mad and Agile, you really have a very quick start. What we've done in the Mattified, modified, modified, <laughs> there you go, the modified Agile approach is think about in terms of that long PRD process. It's really we call it the Mad on ramp, and it's really working collaborative, collaboratively between marketing and R and D to look at the big picture from a market focus. Where are you trying to target? For this customer, what are you trying to accomplish for that customer? The major success factors, the major customer needs, you're going to have an idea of the product, but there's going to be a lot of questions. And really what you're looking to do is get started with a deeper understanding of the customer and working together through these learning cycles to identify what's going to work and what's not going to work, both from a technical and a market feasibility, and do that in these rapid cycles on a cadence. And we've seen companies go from a year kickoff for a project down to literally multiple weeks with a a better understanding of the customer getting started and agreement that they as a team are going to collaborate and work together towards these rather than a more of a contentious relationship where we really need this in the product. R&D says we really can't deliver this. And it just kind of goes back and forth for a long time versus let's work together on the goals for these customers.
0: Yeah, I like how that starts. I want to get into the components of how mad, you know, the framework actually works. But I think the it's easy, yeah. especially if it's a hardware, software sort of product. This is probably an engineering driven company. And when we start working on that PRD, we're immediately in the, in the mental space of thinking about engineering specs. Yeah. And what Agile does for us is helps to reorientate that direction to say, well, what is the value we're actually trying to create for the customer? And your, your on-ramp sounds like it, it focuses that direction and that's, that's where we need to be thinking first, right? It's easy to get lost in the PRD and writing these requirements that we kind of lose track of what actually creates value for the customer along the way. That's exactly so right. take us through these pieces of the framework. We kind of have these four principles the, from Agile that you said you, you, you make sure you... How does the framework itself work?
1: Yeah. So the nice thing about Scrum and Agile from a framework, it's very simple, right? It's one circle. And you have a very two to four week circle and you just kind of keep iterating and you you work through user stories. And the MAD principles, the MAD framework uh, has that element as well. So a couple of the key differences and how it would work is I mentioned the on-ramp. And that's a big difference between MAD and Scrum. And the on-ramp is a set of five interactive collaborative activities between marketing and R&D. And to get any project started, you still have to have something. And we call this an agile project brief. It's usually, it could be as short as one page. It might be two pages, three pages. And it describes the customer, the market targets, timing, price point, decision factors for customers, positioning in the market. So what you're trying to do is get a very clear understanding of what we're trying to accomplish. And that's really the kickoff for a mad project. And from there, you'll still have user stories, as Gary was mentioning, but these are really at the system level. And one of the differences, big difference between hardware and software is that I can describe a software system almost completely with user stories. With physical products, I'm going to have this combination of here's what customers are trying to accomplish with the product, these user stories, but there's all kinds of physical attributes. There's, there's uh, mechanics, there's steering mechanisms, there's chassis, there's wheels, there's electronics. And we need to describe those really more in terms of product attributes. So the the on-ramp describes these attributes at a very high level. And one of the tools that is really important for the teams to collaborate with is we have to think about how do these user stories relate to product attributes and what are the priorities and where are the risks. And one of the tools that's part of the Mad framework is called a focus matrix. And when you're defining a physical product, there's often like one user story that's going to be satisfied by multiple attributes And there's going to be maybe one attribute that contributes to multiple user stories. So it creates this matrix thinking. And if you've, you probably in your history, you've studied like total quality management and the house of quality or the jobs to be done framework. QFD that helps us do that translation between
0: the, what the customer wants and what engineering needs to know.
1: Exactly. So if you did a pure QFD exercise, it would take a long time. So the focus matrix is a collaborative exercise, right? It's really at a whiteboard or it's at some collaborative tool that uh, the teams are using between hardware and and between marketing and R&D. And they're trying to identify where are the areas of focus? What do we need to focus on first that's going to remove the risk of the project? Get strategic questions answered early in the in the process to remove the risk early on, and we start refining and defining the product through these rapid iterations, through these learning cycles. Uh, So you would once you have that big picture, then you're going to create an iteration plan, as Gary was mentioning. And this is the big picture of the project. Really replaces your detailed Gantt chart. It lays out the big picture. You're thinking about the schedule. And you're lining up where are these areas of risk and major strategic questions that you want to answer? When do you want to answer them? And that ties into the rapid prototyping, the customer engagement, because you're going to need some of those tools to get those questions answered. Uh, So you're identifying where's what's the right place to bring these components together to get a prototype or something that I can demonstrate, whether it's technical feasibility or something I actually want to put in front of customers, either internal or external, to get that feedback loop going. So once you get a project going, uh, with the MAD framework, the tactics are then pretty similar to Scrum. You've got two-week time-boxed execution cycles. They're working through tasks as a team. They're selecting tasks and working through it. The difference is now they're working towards this higher-level iteration. So you might have two or three sprints that then works towards an alignment point. So I've got my software, my firmware, my mechanics, my electronics, all coming together towards some sort of uh, intermediate milestone. And that's at that point, you start really learning what's going to work. Is this something we can put in front of customers? Are we in the right track with features and with uh, technical feasibility?
0: Okay, good. So, what I got there for a summary out of that was we had the on we have the big, pi- uh, so the, the on-ramp is where we headed, right? Kind of a high-level understanding of what it is we want to accomplish. And we're starting that collaboration between marketing and R- R&D and getting on the same page with each other. We have the big picture, which really sounds kind of like the schedule, how, how we're going to, tact- not tactically yet, but how, how we're going to work on this, putting the pieces together, getting the customer engagement at the right times, and bringing together the pieces so we can get feedback. And then the tactics are sprints. So we're used to that, certainly from Scrum. You do two-week two, two week time boxes. That sounds like that works well. And then some of those sprints work together, kind of like a sprint of sprints or a Scrum of scrums, into an alignment point that we're producing something where we're bringing together hardware and software.
1: So I got I got the big pieces of the framework. You got it, you got it. And one of the I don't know if you've ever tried to communicate software progress to executive management, for example. Teams struggle with this in software, you know, executives want to schedule. They want to know what's in the product when they're done. And if I point to a software backlog and say, Well, here's where we are, here's what we're working on, here's the priorities, a lot of people's heads spin, because backlogs are really complicated. You know, a lot of details in there, everything from you know engineering investigations to features to user stories. So it's hard to tell that big picture. Right. So we even see software teams getting value from an iteration plan. It's one of the things you mentioned safe, uh, previous broadcasts, right? this one, is it you know, allows for that big picture. Iteration plans operate at a higher level than sprints so that you can actually communicate. What are we doing at what time and generally what's our, our schedule and what are we trying to accomplish over time? It makes management much happier than just, oh, you know, here's our backlog. First, as one benefit.
2: And we found with the iteration plan, whatever format a team uses for it, it's high level and it shows the big picture and really any manager or stakeholder can comprehend it. I mean, whatever the format is, unless it's just not legible because it's too sloppy, it's simple that it's easily understood by anybody, where something like even... You know, a, a backlog that where progress is shown through a burn up or burn down chart. You know, in some organizations, managers are used to that and it's meaningful. But when it's new, if you try as soon as a hardware team tries to use that, and and managers aren't familiar with it, of course they're not going to like it. They don't understand it. But then, not only that, it takes a while for the for it to be meaningful. You know, the concept of velocity has to mean something, and you know, using it to really forecast and have confidence in it typically takes a long time you know managers are used to gantt charts and they already know you know that those are tend to be fictitious and they can you know ask but they can ask the questions they want to ask and they can basically understand it and of course that can be rolled up to any level of detail the iteration plan is always that high level big picture anyone can understand it anyone can see where are we here and uh,
1: what are we trying to learn
2: Yeah, it's concise and it has the most, it has the most important information either visible or readily available because teams are focused on the most important stuff and it's generally communicated through the iteration plan.
0: Very good. Dorian, you had also said something earlier, and I uh, don't remember how you phrased it, but uh, it, I thought it was perfect <laughs> as you phrased it, talking about you know when, when we traditionally start these projects, going down kind of the PRD process or path with a hardware project, we, we uh, realize we're just kidding ourselves about that we actually understand what needs to get done. And, and these hardware projects, even when we have a pretty clear understanding as you're, you're doing these time boxes, I would imagine working through this especially in today's environment of the disrupted supply chain, companies run into problems all the time with not being able to get the parts that they had had originally specced or envisioned for the hardware, and they're constantly adjusting during development to try to figure out what they can actually get in stock to meet their production expectations, right? And this gives us a way to help manage the that uncertainty that is taking place, too.
1: That's exactly right. And I, I've been on so many traditional projects where people are just afraid to talk to reality sometimes. So I might have a 12 or 18 month development project and you'll ask, management will ask, how's it going? And it's always going great. We're always on schedule and they keep pushing risk up until the end. They keep pushing it out, pushing it out. And the Gantt charts are almost funny because all these tasks that were supposed to have been done, now they keep getting pushed later and later onto the Gantt chart and they really think it's going to work and we know it doesn't. And one of the beauties of Agile and the Mad Framework or any, any Scrum-based process for Agile, uh, for hardware, is that you're learning these risks and you're learning these problems early on and you're allowing the team to redirect early on. So it's the transparency is amazing. Being able to demonstrate specific process, uh, progress is amazing. Knowing that you're actually going to get something in front of customers before, you know, beta testing is amazing. So the results are just, it's it's really more about, it's more than just, you know, faster time to market, less resources. It's really about the way of working with the team and collaboration. And the way the teams actually operate together is so much more powerful in that collaborative environment where they're learning together in these short cycles versus just letting things go and assuming things are going to be okay for a long period of time. Yeah. And I would think
0: more enjoyable too, right? If you're part of that
1: team. And more enjoyable. It's a better environment. Yeah.
2: It's interesting in so many, um, on so many teams where they, you know, they use more traditional methods, you know, they have meetings often weekly meetings or more than once a week and they have minutes and action items. And it's just really common practice that action items even the most urgent ones can really just drag on and drag on and drag on. And, you know, there's a sense of urgency, but there's no real urgency and things drag on, drag on. And, and they don't have no, usually have no idea with no agile experience that, you know, with a two week sprint cycle, and the team holding each other accountable for getting it done. I mean, your action items are going to get done, and and you've got this time box period. Now, of course, you know most teams. It's kind of slow to really have success with that, but just that that mechanism that really forces urgent stuff to get done, and you're in it with the you know everyone else on the team. And if you don't get it done, it's 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 a big problem. It, it, just benefits like that, a lot of teams just don't realize. They don't understand Agile. They don't really know what it would do for them. But some I have seen, you know, that having that sense of urgency built into it. I mean, there are definitely people who don't like that.
1: It's not perfect. I mean... You-
2: yeah. Well, but it, but uh, I mean, there isn't too many people that have done Agile, uh, an Agile way of working for a while who who say they don't like it. Because most people do like that more collaborative aspect of it, it's
0: just... They have to experience it. Good. I like the framework. I like the benefits we've discussed. I was wondering if you have a project example you could share with us of where MAD's been used and, and kind of what the outcome
1: was. Well, since we launched, we launched a MAD framework 2016, Gary. Does that sound right? Yeah, Right. I would say we personally worked with probably about over a dozen companies to implement it end-to-end. Uh, each of them are very stages of their journey. We usually see fairly immediate results in shortening product life cycles um, and their ability to adapt to change. We have a lot of people that try it on their own. They'll pull down the materials from their site. Some of those have we've heard about success. Some are more struggling. And these are companies that really haven't often committed to a new way of working. So they, they look at Agile. They look at Scrum. And they just think they're going to, you know, do these time boxed development cycles and they're going to get all the benefits of agile. So I mentioned earlier that you've got to stick to those four philosophies, but you've got to make it work for you. If you just, if you're just doing the, Tactics of Agile, you're not going to get the full benefits. You got to really embrace the principles. So we had, we had one company we were working with. I think it's probably a good example of, of how to think about the benefits. This is a thermal imaging company, very pretty high tech. They had these long pre development cycles. It would take at least six to eight months just to get that PRD approved, and they'd go back and forth, and then they'd spend a lot of time on detailed Gantt charts. What was interesting is that the R&D, even after all that, the R&D team almost was always complaining that marketing didn't know what they were asking for. They didn't understand the market, or they asked for things that they didn't think was important. And then they started implementing the MAD framework, and they worked through the first on-ramp, and they go... Some people were just not comfortable with the uncertainty. They're like, I don't, I don't know what I'm supposed to build here. I don't have all the specifications. So it took a little while to get comfortable with the uncertainty that says, you're going to learn that through the first couple iterations. You're going to start defining the product. There's a couple of big strategic questions like, we don't know exactly some of the core technology. We don't know what the resolution is on this imaging for these types of customers. We have to learn that quickly. To even get to a specification. So it allowed the team to work with a lot more uncertainty, and they moved from that six to eight months, and they got their kickoffs down to two months. So they would collaboratively work through this on-ramp, get to an iteration plan, have a set of strategic questions, what are the prototypes and the customer engagement points they're going to work towards? And their development cycles, they, were, they weren't they were able to shorten Too much yet. They're still working on that from the actual project kickoff to completion. But by saving the six to eight months, they already cut six months out of their development process. And they the confidence of getting a product that's right for their customers is infinitely higher. Because they know they're working through it with these, with these alignment points, with these customer engagement and prototyping points. And we see that pretty consistently. But you know, it's not over. What we always recommend is kicking off with a pilot project. You know, pick something that is not too mission critical so you can kind of learn and you, know, you might make a mistake or two and that's okay. And then once you learn that, you kind of build on that.
0: Good. I, in there, and Gary, maybe you can speak to this too. You know, I see some key benefits for sure. Obviously, there's the reduction in time because we're getting to the development work, we're getting kind of the scoping and the uncertainties. We're getting collaboration increase. So there's more learning going on and more knowledge sharing, which is certainly important. So important that we have high confidence that the product actually creates value for the customer because we've had the customer involved. But I also wonder, my comment earlier about that, I bet people enjoy this more, if you have seen, heard, somehow observed feedback about how people just feel differently about their job when they're operating in this kind of Mad framework,
2: we have had at least a couple customers where, after using Mad on their teams for a while, their um, their satisfaction is expressed through our our teams are happier with this way of working. So very subjective, but we've got that direct. A quote from different managers in different companies that I'm happy because they're, they're happier. Yeah. It, usually we, you know, we think we feel like we're going faster. We, you know, we feel like we're more focused. It's definitely more collaborative. But when, when they say, our team members are happier, and that's one of the most important things to them. Then they're getting, you know, a benefit from the way of working that that really matters to them. You know, some managers care more more about you know the well being of their team members, than customers, because they might be detached from what customers really need. In a lot of engineering management roles, for example, you know they can see if their if their team members are you know happier, more productive. You know, they can gauge morale. But they they might have no idea you know what that's actually doing for customers if they're not you know directly involved with those customers. But they're happy if their if their people are happy. So we've seen that more than once.
0: It's a good benefit, and we're living in this in this odd you know post twenty twenty sort of COVID world, right? That we're still dealing with. But where professionals are rethinking how they spend their time and what they want to be, what kind of work they want to be doing, and Doing something that brings some you know, higher level of satisfaction and enjoyment and, and feeling like they're actually making a difference has become more important. And we're seeing that in, in terms of people leaving positions and looking for other things much more frequently than we used to.
2: Well, I mean, I, I can give an example from my own experience. I used to spend way too much time creating detailed Gantt charts that I knew weren't accurate. And most likely, we're going to change a lot. And sure enough, almost always, they changed a lot. And I personally spent a lot of time satisfying managers by updating Gantt charts with a lot of detail and reworking, reworking, and reworking. And it's a waste of time. You don't feel good about your job, you know, where you just don't do that in an agile way of working. You don't create uh, stuff that's not valuable (laughs) like
0: that. (laughs) I've I've been there, too. I know we could keep talking about the framework and the many benefits. This is all very interesting to get into, and we'll share some resources soon for people to find out more about this for sure. But as as frequently listeners know, we love good innovation quotes around here, and I asked for uh, you to share one with us. I think you both have one for us today. If you'll just share it and kind of summarize what that means to you, that would be great. Dorian, you want to go first?
1: I'm sure. You know, I'm always uh, pointing to Steve Jobs as a great, you know, exemplar for uh, innovation, and, and he didn't talk a lot about Agile, but he he had Agile in his DNA. Uh, a quote from him I like is: "Innovation is not about saying yes to everything; it's about saying no to all but the most crucial features." And I like this because it's so pragmatic. A lot of times we hear very high level, you know, you've got to you know, take risks. You know, nothing is ever done without risk. But this is very pragmatic. It really sums up the, the primary goal of a great process, what Agile and what Matt is really trying to do. And that's really focus on those most important customer and business value priorities. And then that's going to lead us to great products. It's a great quote. Love that one.
0: Gary, how about you?
2: Well, I'm a fan of Peter Drucker and my favorite quote of his involving innovation is marketing and and innovation produce results, all the rest are costs, which is part of a, a bigger quote where he talks about businesses exist to create customers and you do that by creating value for customers and that is done through marketing and innovation and everything else is a cost to the business and that really resonates with me as someone who's been involved in product development my whole career and, and that marketing and an engineering relationship I mean it's really talking about that you've got your marketing engine and your innovation engine which is R&D and how they really need to work together but in many companies they don't there's really a, there's a wall there maybe not a physical wall but you know there's this back and forth Us versus them, not as collaborative as as it should be. And an Agile way of working generally fixes that. I mean, if they're really working in the collaborative way as a team, they should. I mean, it it does fix it. Sometimes it takes time. And then the only other thing is to pull the customer in along with you. So those innovations are really on the value for the customer. But, you know, Agile definitely helps bring those two entities closer together Mm -hmm. where, you know, where they often really aren't working closely together.
0: Excellent. Thank you for sharing that quote as well. familiar with Drucker's work. And if you're going to be in an organization, selfishly try to be one that actually produces results in in that group. So get closer to innovation and marketing if they're the ones producing the results for us. Agreed. Okay. How can listeners find out about the MAD framework as well as other resources you have available? And I'll make sure all the quotes that you share show up in the show notes for that.
1: The easiest way to get started is go to agileforhardware.org. And become a member. It's free. We have a lot of free things that you don't need to be a member, but we like to know who 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 we're talking to. And you can download a lot of ebooks and uh, details on step by step how to get started with MAD. Gary and I are both available from wa- that website. Uh, we're both on LinkedIn, or you can find us on auxiliuminc.com. Auxilium, A U X I L I U M I N C.com. And, you know, if you really want to try the Mad framework, you really can try it by yourself. You download the materials kind of step by step. A faster approach is usually get some training of identify a pilot, maybe do some light training, try it, and then learn from that. And then you can expand from there.
0: Excellent. I appreciate the resources. Dorian, Gary, thank you so much for joining us today and helping us understand how we can apply Agile to hardware projects.
1: Great. Thank you, Chad. We appreciate your time. Thanks, Chad. It was fun. Thank you.
0: Yep. Delighted we could have that discussion. And Product Master is listening. Do remember the show notes will contain the written details and also that one-page takeaway to help you put into action the key takeaway points that we talked about. That's at productmasterynow.com slash 366. Keep innovating. Thank you for listening to Product Mastery Now, where product leaders and managers gain product mastery through practical knowledge, influence, and confidence. By listening, you are becoming a product master, creating products customers love. Find additional resources at productmasterynow.com. Keep innovating.